Yeah, once upon a time, there was a pirate captain who was the most amazing best captain a crow could ever ask for. His crew loved him more than anything, and they would do absolutely anything for him. As one day, as they were sailing, a crew member in the crow's nest shouts, One ship off the port side! Immediately, the captain yells at his crew, Men, bring me my red shirt! Slightly confused, the men hesitate for a second and then hurry off to bring the captain his red shirt. Amazingly, they win the battle. The men are so happy and thankful the captain brought them safely through the battle. They didn't even care why the captain wanted his red shirt to begin with. And a few months later of sailing, again, the man in the crow's nest yells, Two ships off the port side! Quickly, the captain screams, Men, bring me my red shirt! The crew doesn't hesitate this time to get him his red shirt. And what do you know? They win this battle too. The crew is astonished at the captain's awesomeness. They honestly could not find anyone better to lead them. This time though, the crew stops a moment and asks the captain, Captain, why do you always have us bring you your red shirt? The captain replies, Men, if I get stabbed, the blood will blend into me red shirt, and it will look like I'm not hurt, so you will all fight as hard as if I were still alive. The men can't believe what they hear. How could they be so lucky as to have a captain so incredibly smart and courageous? But two seconds later, 27 ships off the port side. Calmly and with an even tone, the captain says, Men, bring me my brown pants. This is how we disable toxic masculinity. We need to kill all men. It's pagan patriarchalism that is coming back out of the shadows. Feminists hate patriarchy. It's the woman that runs the show and the woman that runs the community and is the backbone of, of that area. I'm a nasty woman. A loud, vulgar, proud woman. Patriarchy. patriarchy. You are male privilege. Are you saying you have authority over me? Go eat your superior! I personally can't see why egalitarianism would be a bad thing. The assumption that wives should make babies instead of money is part of the patriarchy. Don't say hi to strange women you don't know. Patriarchy. The patriarchy. 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 Be of good courage and let us be strong for our people and for the cities of our God. And may the Lord do what is good in his sight. And that is 2 Samuel chapter 10, verse 12. You are on the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network and you are listening to The Patriarchy. My name is Tony DePani and I am joined by my co-host, Pastor Joseph Randall Spurgeon. Woman, 
Get back in here and make me a sandwich. Joseph, what kind of sandwich are you eating today? Well, there's been snow everywhere on the ground. And so kids want to go out and play in the snow. Thought it'd be fun to do. So we've been doing that and playing in the snow. And it's actually been pretty good snow. So you can roll it up in the ball and you start rolling it on the ground. And, you know, it, it, it's the kind, you know, pa- there's bad snow. Packing you know, snow. So it's packing snow. That's what we call it. Yeah. So you can make igloos and stuff out of it. And so we've been, this has been great. So, you know, got out there. It wasn't, it wasn't too cold. And so we just been rolling up snow. We rolled up a few snowmen in the yard. And I uh, just had a really good time with that. And then, um, so after we finished that, we got everybody lining up. We got everybody in the the van. And, well, we first of all came in, got warm. Some of your clothes get wet, you know, when you do all that. But yeah, anyways, we yeah. came in, and we got uh, everybody warm, changed clothes. Everybody got in the van. And so we, we went out. We were going to go out to eat. We had to stop at a... a Target first, and um, my wife went in there. Um, she had to return something from Christmas, and so she came out, and uh, we uh, went on down. And we were going to go. We were trying to go to like Cheddar's. You ever been to Cheddar's? I have not, but I have heard of it. And so, man, great place. My kids love it. They have this spinach dip that we eat, man. It's just really, really good. And so. Um, we went, started to go to Chatters. They looked too crowded. And then we went over to Red Robins. And uh, problem was they were doing something goofy with COVID stuff and wouldn't let everybody inside at the time. So we, we couldn't go to Red Robin. So we were driving around trying to find a place to eat. And we, I think it was... There's a sandwich uh, somewhere in here. <laughs> yes. Oh, well, I'm getting to the sandwich. Okay. Yeah, so we, yeah, sure you are. All right, go ahead. We went to Golden Corral, okay. finally. Okay. So it was like, you know what? Well, we couldn't, after, we couldn't decide after that where to go. Hmm. And so we went to Golden Corral. And so, man, it was packed. I don't know why. You know, it's like a Thursday afternoon. And it's been snowing all day. For some reason, Golden Corral was packed. But we got in there and... uh Man, they had some really good meat and stuff. And so we were all in the line and um, trying to get some food that way. Got all the kids some food. And and I was up there uh, in the line waiting to get some steak because, you know, what's better than steak? And um, I don't know. I got anxious about something. There was like too many people crowding around. The guy serving the green beans was like sweating because it was he was warm in there. And I think I saw sweat drop into the green beans. It just makes it salty. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so anyways, at this point, I'm like thirsty. And so I'm like, man, I, I got to get something to drink. And so I'm looking around trying to find something to drink. And they were out of lemonade. And so, uh, you know, I thought, I'll, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll go get into the line to get punch. Okay. And there's no punch line. Oh, man. Oh, why? Why? Why do I do this? <laughs> oh, oh my goodness, why? Oh, could I? How long did that go for? How? Wow. That's, that's minutes of my life I will never have back. Ever. 
he's you listeners you can't see it he's laughing at me right now but i he's really laughing but had you had you brought in man oh no No, i knew this was not going anywhere good i mean i i knew it was just not going anywhere good um uh yeah it's like it's like a city bus driven by a crack addict or something like that you you get on you know you're going somewhere it's just not anywhere good oh wow that might have been the most terrible one you've ever done. <laughs> so bad. So bad. Okay, well, now that we're like five minutes into this episode and nowhere. So the same... Sheesh, man, that's so bad. <laughs> it was so bad. <laughs> there literally was no sandwich in it at all. <laughs> there was steak? There was food? There's always steak somewhere in yours. but it's not, in the green beans, any, man. Where were you? The Golden Crowd? There's no steak there. There's that horrible roast beef up there with some dude with the big weird hat on cutting it for you. That's, that's yeah, not yeah. steak. That's not real steak. No. Anyway, okay. I had a real sandwich. We're going to go into mine since we've already wasted six minutes. <laughs> oh, goodness. That was terrible. Okay. So I went out today. Uh, my, my parents watched the kids, and uh, my wife and I went on a date today. Actually, well, it wasn't entirely a date. Uh, we, we went to the hospital to get the ultrasound for the baby. We're having a boy. It's an official announcement. We're having a boy now. Um, but then afterwards, we want to go out to eat. And uh, I let my wife pick uh, because last time I picked, and we, we trade off. And she picked, surprise, surprise, if you know my wife. Not really a surprise if you know my wife. She picked Panera because she loves Panera. I'm not a huge Panera fan. I don't hate Panera, but eh, it's not my thing. But uh, I really, she she actually picked a, a sandwich out there that was quite good. It's called a, a Let's see if I get it right. A Frontega chicken sandwich. I have no idea what that means. It was really, really good, actually. It was all this, like, shredded chicken. It had, uh, like, this really... I think it was mozzarella cheese, because, like, when you bit into it, it did that whole, like, stretchy thing, or just stretched on forever. So I'm pretty sure that was mozzarella cheese. And uh, I, it had uh, some kind of sauce on it. I don't know what it was, but it was kind of sweet and tangy at the same time. It was really good. And I don't know what kind of bread they put this thing on, but that bread was amazing. I, it was not normal bread. It was some kind of... It looked like it looked like if you fluffed up pita bread somehow. I don't know what it is. But maybe somebody listening, if, if you are a Panera fan and you know what kind of bread they use on the Frantega chicken sandwich, that's, I guess, all assuming that they use it everywhere. So, like, I mean, it, it's probably, like, bread. It's not, like, unleavened bread, is it? Uh, no. Mm-mm. Oh, okay. So no. they probably just use a little bit of yeast. I have no idea what it was. It, it was. It didn't look like the whole. A little bit of leaven leavens the whole. Oh loaf. goodness! Here, here we go. Okay. Yep. There, there's the punchline. Oh man. No, there was no punchline. Like, yeah, I know. I'm trying to. I'm still looking for it. I'm still waiting for the punchline. I'm never going to find it. For however many episodes it's been now, it's still looking for the punchline. Anyway, that's what I had for lunch. Uh, it was very good. Um, we also had one of their uh, brownies. They have these really thick brownies that are quite good and stuff afterwards. But so that's what I had. It was actually a real sandwich, and uh, there is no punchline because I don't need that because I eat a real sandwich. Goodness, that's still such a terrible joke. Anyways, welcome to the show. If this is your first time listening, we are on a series called Men of Violence, and we are talking about different areas that as men we need to focus on and get under control or learn about and uh, be disciplined in. So yeah, this yeah. episode, like- what? Like what? Why violence? Like, are we talking, trying to get people like to? Absolutely, yeah. It, it well, technically, it is January sixth. Six. That's what I'm saying. We're, we're recording on January sixth. So yeah, uh, yeah. I'm announcing, and I'm also announcing that I, I'm, I'm having a, a white baby boy on January sixth. Man, look at that. We're gonna get this episode banned. The um, government's gonna come to my door and shoot my dog yeah. that I don't have. 
Uh, anyway, so we are talking about courage today. Uh, we actually did uh, a previous episode about two years ago on uh, taking risks. So there's going to be a little bit of overlap, but you should go back and listen to that. It's a good precursor to this. But that being said, Joseph has been reading a book that he finds quite helpful, and he's going to do a short little emphasis on short uh, little book review here, but he's going to read a little bit. And of I haven't even colored in it. Yeah, it hasn't colored in it yet. Does it have pictures? <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right, go ahead. Go ahead. Tell them, tell them what the book is, who it's by, and let's, let's do a little book review. Yeah, it's called The Sword and the Scimitar. It's by Raymond Ibrahim. He is a scholar of the Middle East and Islam, and uh, he's appeared on C-SPAN, Al Jazeera, CNN, NPR. He's part of the Hoover Institute and David Horowitz Freedom Center. So he's a little bit of a, a, a neo-conservative. Okay. Um, I wouldn't agree with all of his philosophy, and he, you know, he's he does seem at times to constantly push for war in the Middle East. But uh, um, this is an excellent book. It's called "The Sword and the Scimitar: Fourteen Centuries of War Between Islam and the West." And one of the things that I, I appreciate about the book, and maybe if you were to get it and and to read through it, is just the, how documented it is, like from primary sources about the reasons there were conflict basically between Islam and Western civilization or Christendom. Okay. Which, you know, I think this guy's a Jew, but he's he's pretty fair and clearly uh, calling in Christendom, and he recognizes the history of the West as being influenced from Christianity. And so you can definitely tell he's not very fond of Islam, but he does quote extensively from sources uh, of of the people at the time why they were uh, why they were fighting so I thought that was very it's very interesting to see that actually from the beginning of Islam mm-hmm. when even when when Muhammad was still around uh, the Christians were starting to accuse the Islam because they had read their books of like just being a religion dedicated, which is what it is, to vice and uh, uh, putting into um, even motivation to be motivated by vice. Gotcha. And so, okay. as you know, as Christians, we're motivated for heaven, and uh, and so Muslims would say they're motivated for heaven. But you know what they're looking forward to is sexual immorality and and and. You'll see in here that the constant use of conquering and being able to get uh, to take plunder and all these things was it motivated the spread of Islam and it started taking Christian lands. Reason I wanted to bring it up, I thought I might share a couple interesting quotes from it. Um, one was I just thought it sounded so description descriptive of the time that we live in now, and this is what Christians thought of when um, Islam was coming in. And attacking and taking over lands that were once Christian. And so you have in like the seventh uh, century this book called Apocalypse. And uh, it's uh, basically describing what's happening. And so this is what it says. You know, the question was well, if we're Christians and we have God, why is God allowing the, the Muslims to be able to take the land? And he says, uh, this book says, thus not because he loved them, that's the Muslims. Did the Lord God give them power to seize the land of the Christians? But because of the lawlessness of the Christians, 
the like of it never has occurred, nor may it occur in the entire generations of the earth. This guy didn't know our generation. And it says, <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> but this sounds like us, right? So for mm -hmm. why did men put on the clothes of adulterous women and prostitutes, adorn themselves as women, and openly stand in the squares and markets of towns, and change their natural practice for the unnatural one? Likewise, women did the same thing as the men had done. Father, son, and brother had intercourse with one woman who touched every kinsman. For this reason, God delivered them into the hands of the barbarians, that is, because of their sin and stench. The women will pollute themselves through the men who are already polluted, and the sons of Ishmael will cast lots for them. And so, as you can see, it wasn't because Islam was such a great godly thing. It was because the Christians had fallen into such wickedness, and then it's there's like nothing new under the sun. I mean, this is what's happened in our land. And so for sure, I know we talked about this in another episode, but there's the rise and fall of empires and we're definitely at the end of it. <laughs> that was our first episode is where we talked yeah, about yeah. that. And so I thought that's an important, that's an important quote. I think for us to recognize, mm -hmm. there's actually this song that we sing with my children about the, the, the Kings and the, of the old Testament. And one of the lines says is God can punish a wicked nation with a, an even more wicked nation, mm. you know, yeah, and so sure. that that quote you read, uh, when was that from? The seventh century, so six hundreds, yeah. in a book called Apocalypse. Gotcha. And uh, describing why was why was God allowing this to happen? It's amazing that, yeah, like you said, he definitely didn't know our generation. But like we said in the first episode, it tends to uh, go in patterns. But yeah. Now wow. it wasn't that all the people were as wicked as that. In fact, what I wanted to do was read to you another account, similar time period of bold and courageous men, which will tie us into what we're actually talking about here. And so I, I, this is an encouraging thing. So this is a, I'm reading, it's called the martyrdom in Gaza. Um, and uh, it's from a chapter called Islam takes Christendom by storm. But this is what it says. Indeed, these were dramatic, if not eschatological times. In the context of an earthquake that brought down an early mosque built atop the Temple Mount, and Muslims fervently breaking crosses from atop Jerusalem's churches, and even atop the head of Christians during processions and religious litanies, one of the more gripping but little-known accounts to reach posterity concerns the conquest of nearby Gaza. There, 60 Christian soldiers val valiantly fought day and night and continuously slew many of the Saracens, which was a, a, a group of the Muslims. They were under the command of Amar bin al-As. Um, the 60 fighters were eventually captured. Amir, apparently impressed by their mettle and eager to recruit them for the jihad, repeatedly tried to force those 60 brought before him to desert their confession of Christ and submit to Islam. But every time they refused and they were sent to harsher, fouler dungeons. Amir eventually sent them to a prison in Jerusalem, where Sophronius is said to have visited and exhorted them to remain steadfast. After ten months, Amir wrote to Abu Abidah in Jerusalem and told him to tell them to deny their faith, and that if they agreed to deny Christ, to remove the irons from them and to send them on with great honor. But if they refused to submit to, to behead their chief, together with nine others in front of them, 
so that, seeing this, the rest would perhaps be led by fear and deny their faith. Abu Abaidah obliged, but the stubborn prisoners did not submit to his commands, but all confessed together the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ. Enraged, Muhammad's companion ordered their chief and nine others beheaded, and the rest sent to a fouler dungeon. A month later, Amir ordered the remaining 50 prisoners returned to him. Unable to understand why they stubbornly refused to say the Shahada, that is, utter some words, a frustrated Amir displayed their wives and children before exclaiming, How stiff-necked you are in your refusal to submit to us concerning our rights. If you submit to us, behold, you will have your wives and your sons and will be like us and will be honored just like one of us. But if you do not, you too will suffer what your fellow soldiers have suffered. Then the holy martyrs responded together to Ambrose or Amir saying, No one can separate us from the love of Christ, neither wives nor sons nor all the wealth of this world. But we are servants of Christ, the son of the living God, and we're prepared to die for him who died and rose for us. When the most cruel Amir heard this, he was filled with anger, his face changed, and he ordered the holy martyrs of Christ to be surrounded by a crowd of sarsons. And in this way, he wickedly killed them by means of various tortures on account of their faith in Christ. And so uh, I found that very interesting. And that quote there from no one can separate. So that's from a, a document at the time. And it's interesting. They take that passage from the Bible Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Then they applied it to neither their wives, their sons, or the wealth of this mm. world. Mm-hmm. Man, that's that's a pretty intense thing. That is. But that's uh, that's courage, and that's what we want to talk about today: is taking taking courage. So I thought those two quotes were helpful. Like we live in a time of great wickedness, and because of that, like if you stick your head up now, it feels like you're going to get. Mode over. Yeah. <laughs> I, I saw this meme earlier. It was like a bunch of people walking on their cell phones with their heads down. Hmm. And like, like it was like a group. And then you can see every once in a while somebody has their head up. And up above all the people was people with lawnmowers mowing. Oh, goodness. Across <laughs> the top of them. And so if you stuck your head up, you know, you get hit. Wow. But it was, yeah. it was, it was like, uh, wake up. And so that's, it takes courage then to be a Christian in our day, um, I think. And actually to be a faithful Christian. You know, there's, there's ways you can be Christians and have everybody like you. But that doesn't take much. Right, for sure. Yeah. Um, you know what? Let's get, you, we had those passages from Samuel actually too. So let's give a couple more examples here. All right, 2 Samuel chapter 10, uh, verses 6 to 14, actually contains what we uh, started our uh, episode with. Now, when the sons of Ammon saw that they had become odious to David, the sons of Ammon sent and hired the Arameans of Bethroab and the Arameans of Zobah, 20,000 foot soldiers, and the king of Makah with 1,000 men, and the men of Tob with 12,000 men. When David heard of it, he sent Joab and all the army, the mighty men, the sons of Ammon came out and drew up in battle array at the entrance of the city, while the Arameans of Zobah and of Rahab, where the men of Tob and Makah were by themselves in the field. Now when Job saw that the battle was set against him in front and in the rear, he selected from all the choice men of Israel and arrayed them against the Arameans. And the remainder of the people he placed in the hand of Abishai, his brother, and he arrayed them against the sons of Ammon. He said, If the Arameans are too strong for me, then you shall help me. But if the sons of Ammon are too strong for you, then I will come to help you. 
Be strong and let us show ourselves courageous for the sake of our people and for the cities of our God. And may the Lord do what is good in his sight. So Joab and the people who were with them drew near to the battle against the Arameans, and they fled before him. When the sons of Ammon saw that the Arameans fled, they also fled before Abishai and entered the city. Then Joab returned from fighting against the sons of Ammon and came to Jerusalem. It's an interesting passage, actually, uh, Tony. Um, I like the build-up to this passage. Uh, if you know anything about the, it says there it starts off when they noticed they had become odious to David. Now, do you know mm-hmm. how they became odious to David? I do not remember. I'm trying to think the book came before. It's this one passage. of my favorite stories to tell kids. <laughs> so, <laughs> okay. right. I have a couple that I like to tell kids. They're like, "That's in the Bible." Yeah, this one's in the Bible. So, uh, um, Ammon was another kingdom near uh, David, and the king had passed away. And the son had come to the throne. And David had been friends with the king. And so when the uh, king passed away, he sent a group of men, you know, like just like any nation would to an ally to visit the funeral, you know, that the, the comfort the people, to send your sympathies and that kind of thing. Well, the son was not like the dad. And the son received uh, foolish counsel in which he was told that, you know, David's sending spies. He's come to spy out your land and try to get you because you're weak. And so the sons of Ammon, the new king, takes David's men and cuts their beards in half. <laughs> and shaves their beards half. And then he cuts a hole in the, basically he cuts a hole in the bottom of their pants in their, in their, in their um, cloak and cuts it off so that they're, rear ends exposed and he sends them back. I think I remember this now. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, kids love to hear it. What? He cut off half their beard and cut a hole in their pants <laughs> and thus started this war. What, what a way to start a war, right? <laughs> we recognize we were become odious. Well, I think maybe you shamed his people. And so they go out to war and it's so interesting because that's how this battle starts and it ends with God's people being faithful and courageous, you'll see here, trusting the Lord, actually taking a risk. Um, that phrase, be strong and let us show ourselves courageous for the sake of our people and for the city of, of our God. And then the next part says, and may the Lord do what is good in his sight. There's 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 almost a sense of like uncertainty, you know, like we know that God can do, but what will God do? And so they take a risk doing this. And that's that's actually the whole thing behind courage is courage happens because we don't necessarily know all the amounts of the future. Yeah. And so, like, if you're going to take risk, you that's one of the elements of a risk is not knowing the future. And then, obviously, then it takes faith. The second aspect of courage here is so they didn't know if God, you know, they knew God could deliver them. Would God deliver them? They knew the right thing to do. They just didn't know what the outcome would be, but they knew that God knew the outcome and they trusted him. And so that leads to their their courage here. And as we talk about courage and we talk about risk, that's kind of what we're talking about. Is like we live in a time when uh, the future seems very uncertain, a lot of uncertainties. Uh, probably, I mean, I, I, 
even as I say, we live in a time of this. I mean, this is probably, it's always this kind of way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I think, I think we experienced a time of maybe some peace and some like, of calm that everything seemed kind of certain for a while. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that again brings us back to that rise and fall of empires. We, we had some, there was prosperity and there still is, and there's still a lot of like normal day-to-day things, but there's a lot of uncertainty, right? The COVID throws the whole thing into it. Now everybody is afraid, right? We don't know the future. And so we're living in great fear. Uh, and, but not just that, like, I think there's fear on both sides of the equation there. I think some of what we're experiencing right now is I think the things that are, are said to be courageous are actually the fearful things. It's it's like, it's flipped. Um, okay, explain that. Well, so, I, I think I agree with you, but yeah. I, I think I'm going to push it even further than you might. might. So the, go ahead. Well, one of the first things I was thinking of is just even in the age of social media. I mean... You know, people, oh, so courageous, this person said such and such or whatever online, but it's not really. It's easy. It's, it's, I think it's actually a little more cowardly to hide behind a keyboard if you're not going to live that out in your life. Um, that was one of the first things I thought about, but you're going to say something? No, I, I, I just see people now saying, oh, it takes courage to do that. And it, and it, and it does in some sense, right? It takes, I mean, people are going to see what you write and that kind of thing. And so there's a courageous way to do that. But you're right. I think. There's also a way in which that that's not quite as courageous as we could make it to be. Right. Well, it's just, I think people don't, uh, I don't think people put as much thought into it. I mean, everybody's guilty of it. I've been guilty of it before and you you walk things back or whatever, but I think there's not a lot of, as much thought. I think it looks courageous because, oh, you, you, you said something that, I don't know, people don't like, but there's really not a lot of a pushback on that, at least online. I mean, yeah, there can be. I mean, people can push back in real life or something on that too. But that was one of the things I was thinking about too. But um, I think, yeah, I guess this probably would be on both sides. I think obviously in the COVID thing we're talking about, um, you know, people are talking about how it's, it's I don't know, so courageous to, to wear a mask or, or get the vaccine or something. But I guess on the other flip side of that, too, people are talking about how courageous it is not to wear a mask and not to get a vaccine. But honestly, I don't really consider either of those courageous. I'm not saying I agree with wearing a mask or getting a vaccine necessarily. I mean, I, I didn't I, I don't really wear a mask and I didn't get a vaccine. But my whole thing is, it's just it's almost like, well, if if not wearing a mask and not getting a vaccine is why I guess why is that? so courageous right now um, because it really was normal before. Um, and uh, then the other, uh, obviously on the flip side of it, it I, I don't know. I just, I don't consider either of those. I think most of it is just how it looks and, and because maybe it makes people upset. And I think that's what our culture deems courageous right now is if you can upset people. I don't really think that's courageous. I think that's kind of just dumb and cowardly and it's it's the easy way out. I mean, I think you have to be so part of being courageous is being willing to to um, to do something, even if it will offend people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. But doing something for the specific purpose of, of offending, offending people. people. Yeah. Yeah. And that that actually might be a thing you're called to do at times. Sure. Right. I mean, you think of the prophets, but I think we have this idea. You're, you're right. Where like everybody wants to be a prophet. Mm-hmm. But none of us actually live like a prophet. Mm hmm. 
I mean, you think John the Baptist, how many of us are actually like, you know what I mean? Like, you know what I mean? Like how many of us are eating locusts? What are you talking about? I I got, I'm I'm wearing camel hair right now. Yeah. So there's a, there's a, there's a false braveness that can be had because of the internet and the sense of, um, anonymity and, uh, well, people are not willing to take a, they're not willing to, to humble themselves and take a hit and to not say anything. I'm not saying you do that every time, but I'm just saying that there's, I don't know, that's, that's, that's lost on us at times. Is is like, you don't have to respond to every single thing. And that doesn't look courageous to people because it's they're not seeing anything. But I don't know, I think it takes a backbone to be able to do that. I think it takes a backbone to just say, yeah, you know what, I'm just going to leave that be. I'm just not going to respond to it. There's no, no point in that. And then there's other times where, where it does take a backbone to say something back and you need to but i think there's a discernment that we lack in that yeah there's this old song called uh, the coward of the county that you made me think of you ever heard that no no i haven't yeah man great song so uh kenny rogers and about a g- guy whose dad was a fighter and then his dad told, made him promised he would never fight you don't have to fight to be a man and you know Everybody considered the guy the the coward of the county then because he wouldn't fight. He would take being persecuted a lot until they messed with his wife. And then he came and (laughs) shuts the door on them at the the bar and they're laughing at him and they think he's about to leave the bar. He actually locks the door and then (laughs) wears everybody out. (laughs) And and he ends with sometimes you do have to fight to be a man. Yeah, that is the thing is you you have to know when. I mean, the the guy that's just a brawler all the time. It's not courageous. It's just a one-trick pony. Yeah, well, I mean, obviously, if you're going to be an elder, that can't be one of the characteristics of yourself that you're a brawler. Right, right. And so, yeah, um, that's interesting. So you're bringing that up. I was thinking about how... So you're, you're talking about maybe false displays of courage. I was thinking of, on the flip side, how there's people are scared all around. So you you, you have... The obvious examples, people freaking out about COVID and, and like, I saw this thing the other day where I don't know if it was made up or not, but it was like some woman saying, my husband took the kids out to eat inside. <laughs> and so another person was like, <gasps> and she was like, I'm getting a divorce. And then the other person was like, that's child abuse. And you're like, what? You're like, what, what planet are you on? Yeah. So, I mean, there's that kind of fear, but then there's there's the other side, I think, that if we're not careful, we're constantly talking about, like, all the things that are negative, and you can live in fear of that, and it can paralyze you. I mean, I think there's a lot of ways to be fearful. For example, you know, we, we know the red pill stuff. We're, we're all about that in a sense of awake to the issue of feminism. We mock it. We hate it. We despise when men are effeminate and cowardly, and we despise how the systems, I think, uh, are stacked against men sometimes in family courts and all that stuff. But, you know, perfect example of some cowardlessness and not taking risks is the MGTOW thing, men going their own way. Yeah. And and so, I mean, I think that's an example of, like, you can have the, the actually— you can point to real issues 
and really point to like the, the the wickedness of feminism or you know tyranny and all those things, but then you can be in such fear of it that you're also not operating rightly. Everything's built on fear. And so, you know, what does a godly man do in this? Well, I think a godly man has to take risk and be willing to be courageous. And that comes not from knowing the future, because we don't know the future. And that's why I think we're so fearful is we don't know the future. And so we don't know how this COVID thing ends. We don't know how the tyranny ends. We don't we don't know. We've got predictions and everybody's telling you everybody is like a, a doomsday prophet right now. That's for sure. Yeah. On both right, sides. You know, yeah. Yeah. Like everybody's Harold uh, camping right now. <laughs> and, and, and yet what we do know is this, and this is, this is a very big comfort. It ought to be some from Isaiah 46. It says, remember the former, former things long past for I am God and there is no other. I am God. And there was no one like me declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, Things which have not been done, saying, my purpose will be established and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. All right. The I think the reason we can actually face the future, even though we don't know it, is because God does. In fact, God declared it and and has defined it. He's already there. And, and that ought to be a theme that gives us courage and lets us take risks. Amen. Well, hey, let's take a break here for a sec because we're uh, going a little long in this first segment. When we come back, we're going to talk about uh, some examples and also uh, how we can practice courage and learn it. So uh, let's take a break. When we come back, uh, we're going to do one little clip and then we're going to give some practical examples. So stick around. You are listening to The Patriarchy on the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network. We'll be right back. Gentlemen, Tony DePani here from the Patriarchy Podcast. Do you like coffee? I do. The darker, the better. Joseph doesn't. He calls it bitter bean water, and that's because he drinks sweet tea, which is basically just brown Kool-Aid. He also doesn't know that I'm doing this commercial, and he's not here right now, so I could say whatever I want. Call it bitter bean water, or as you should, call it the nectar of the gods. Either way, coffee is a wonderful thing. That's why we've partnered with Mission First Coffee, a Christian-owned and operated coffee brand that ships that wonderful bean water straight to your doorstep. 10% of every order goes to Paul Washer's Heart Cry Missionary Society, and they've even got a no-questions money-back guarantee, which is crazy in today's day and age. So ditch the Dunkin', scrap the Starbucks, head over to missionfirstcoffee.com forward slash patriarchy to get some seriously good coffee and support our show. What are you waiting for? The gender-neutral barista at the local chain shop to ask if you want whipped cream with that latte? Come on. Real men drink it black. And go support a company that will actually be remembered in the world to come. That's missionfirstcoffee.com forward slash patriarchy. And be sure to leave a comment with your order that you'd love to see a super dark patriarchy blend one day, because I think that'd be pretty cool. So head over to missionfirstcoffee.com forward slash patriarchy 
Get yourself or a loved one or both a bag of beautiful bean water today. Hi guys, this is Henry, with an I. Just, you know, wanted to let you guys know, um, I mean, let you men know, yeah, uh, that if you want some manly man merchandise, you can, you know, head over to confessionalware.com and click on podcast collaborations to, you know, get some manly, wah, patriarchy merchandise. It'd, you know, be a good idea if you didn't smoke cigars or anything worldly like in their logo, but, uh, you know, it's good to support manly stuff. Uh, like my pastor, Pastor Deborah, always says, behind every manly man, there's a manly woman. Oh, no, that's that's not how it goes. Oh, uh, if the man is the head of the marriage, then there's a woman with her hand on his neck. Uh, no, no, that's not it either. Well, anyways, go support the Patriarchy Podcast and buy some merchandise at confessionalware.com under podcast collaborations. I'll uh, figure out what Pastor Deborah said, uh, you know, the next time I see her at Yoga for Jesus class. So, uh, yeah. Bye. Because the clinical literature on this is very, very, very clear. What you do with people who are afraid, and, and to some degree depressed, but certainly anxious, is you lay out what, what they're anxious about, first of all, in, in detail. What is it that you're afraid of? What might happen? And then you decompose it into small problems, hypothetically manageable problems, and then you have the person expose themselves to the thing that they're afraid of, and, and what happens isn't that they get less afraid. That isn't what the clinical literature ex indicates exactly. What happens instead is they get braver. And that's not the same thing, right? Because if you get less afraid, it's like, well, the world isn't as dangerous as I thought it was, you know, silly me. If you get braver, that's not what happens. What happens is, yeah, the damn world's just as dangerous as I thought, or maybe it's even more dangerous than I thought, but it turns out that there's something in me that responds to taking that on as a voluntary challenge and grows and thrives as a consequence. And there's no doubt about this. Even the psychophysiological findings are quite clear. If you, if you, if you, impose a stressor on two groups of people and on one group the stressor is imposed involuntarily and on the other group the stressor is picked up voluntarily the people who pick up the stressor voluntarily voluntarily use a whole different psychophysiological system to deal with it they use the system that's associated with approach and challenge and not the system that's associated with defensive aggression and withdrawal and the system that is associated with challenge is much more associated with positive emotion and much less associated with negative emotion. It's also much less hard on you because the, the defensive posturing system, the prey animal system, man, when that thing kicks in, it's all systems are go for you, you know? You're, the gas is pushed down to the, or the pedals pushed down to the metal and the brakes are on. You're using future resources that you could be storing for future time right now in the present to ready yourself for emergency. So there's, there's, there's nothing simple or trivial at all about the idea of being called to move forthrightly forward into the strange and the unknown. And that was, if you can't guess it, that was Jordan Peterson uh, from a YouTube video called Take Risks But Not in a Naive Way. I uh, thought that'd be helpful bringing us into uh, how do you actually gain courage, how do you actually learn courage, um, some of the practical steps we can, uh, we can take to do that. Yeah, uh, I appreciate that. That's... Uh... I think it's important that we recognize that 
that God has revealed himself in nature. And so even unbelievers are able to stumble across acorns and, and, and get truths from it. And, and, and we would be foolish to reject that. And so there's actually something true just about even how our bodies are created that when you are afraid or when you're brave impacts your systems as he's talking about. Mm -hmm. And there's something that I think psychology has grasped on the idea of that part of courage is actually not shrinking away from the thing, but actually stepping into it. And as you step into it, it's not necessarily that the, the problem actually goes away or that there's less fear, but that you're actually now exhorting bravery. Well, and, con and, and continuing and to do that too, like repeatedly, I think is what he was saying in that too, that there's a, there's a benefit, I think, to repeatedly placing yourself in those situations and pushing through it. Bravery. I mean, you're, you're, it's, it's a practice. Mm -hmm. It's a, it's a virtue and the virtues take practice. It's like, you know, like when you practice self-control and none of this means that the, the Holy Spirit's not necessary. Uh, actually for Christians, what we recognize is taking what he said here. And there's actually another component, which really guides us and gives us strength to take the next step. And it's what we kind of finished off with, which is the fact that, yeah, we don't know the future. We, we know that the world might be dangerous and all this, but we actually know that God's in control. And so, like, I know I've shared these two quotes before, but these two quotes kind of are very helpful to me all the time. And they kind of cover the two gauntlets of it. The one is just taking the steps even when you're afraid, and the other is knowing that God's in control. So the first is my John Wayne quote, which I have behind me. And it says, courage is being scared to death and saddling up anyways. <laughs> right? And there's some truth to that. At the same time, the Bible tells us constantly, don't be afraid. And so, actually, I think uh, uh, Stonewall Jackson's quote is even helpful, too, where he says, you know, he was considered brave, and people asked him why he was brave, and he said, Dear Captain, my, my faith teaches me that, I'm as, that God has fixed the time of my death, and therefore I'm as safe in battle as I'm in, safe in bed. Mm. And so, I think there's that two combinations that you do in this life as you're taking risks, you're walking forward is... Trusting the Lord, knowing that he, he knows the future, and then just practicing by taking small risks, small things in which you step forward. Uh, one of the ways we do that at my church is I just have the men read scripture out loud. And, it, and you made me think of that because when we read that passage, there's a lot of names. And I was telling the young men in my uh, church last night, I have the young men over on Wednesdays. And we do a lot of different things. One of the things we read scripture and critique each other reading it. And one of the things I told them is when you get to these names in a passage like this, 99% of the people don't know how to pronounce it the same way you don't. So <laughs> just pronounce it with confidence, read it and pronounce it with confidence and work your way through it. And even if you got it wrong, like I said, most people won't recognize it and you will have encouraged and strengthened them. Whereas if you get to a passage and you're fumbling or apologizing and thinking about all the names in Scripture, you're, uh, you're actually just being a distraction and you're making it hard for people to follow you in the, in the reading. And so one of the things I, I just, I'm confident of <laughs> is that if you act like you know what you're doing, most of the time it works out. Most of the time, people will actually assume you know what you're doing, for one. Like, I'm convinced you can go down to 
Applebee's, walk in, walk back into the kitchen and start fixing yourself a steak. And if you do it with confidence and act like you know what you're doing, you could probably cook the steak, put it on a plate and walk out and eat it and leave. <laughs> I don't know that I would recommend you try that, but yeah. No, I don't think... do something illegal about <laughs> yeah. it, but like... <laughs> All of a sudden we're going to get calls. Like, I heard on your podcast to just start making myself a steak at Applebee's. <laughs> but the way I pointed that to was... All right, so let's put this into more real-world stuff. Here's a risk, and here's a way, a, a, a thing for young men to be courageous is you need to ask the girl out, and you're scared to death, right? You're fumbling around and all that stuff, and you're just nervous around the girl. And have you ever noticed, Tony, that sometimes like the really pretty girls have like some of the ugliest-looking dudes? Yeah, sometimes. And it's usually because this, that ugly dude was the one that had the courage to talk to the girl. <laughs> and so what I said was, do you have a girl you want to talk to? Here's the way you be, be courageous. Go to Applebee's and fix the steak. <laughs> That's what you do. You just <laughs> go to her and, and talk to her like you know what you're doing, and you might be scared to death. And, and you'll find that by practicing that, God will strengthen you. And I think that's the kind of connection with actually the the natural realm, the physiological aspects that uh, Jordan Peterson is talking about with the way God intends for us to do it is courage takes practice. Yeah, I'll give you a, uh, I'll give you an example. So I want to say this was, it's probably about two years ago. Um, one of my kids ran in the house and told me that there was this uh, big old dog in the backyard and my boys were out there and so I ran outside to take a look, and sure enough, there was there was a big dog. I think this was some kind of uh, it, it looked like half bull mastiff. I don't know if people are dog people. If you know what a bull mastiff is, that's a that's a big dog. That's a big dog. A sandlot dog. Uh yeah, that was a kind of mastiff. I don't know if it was a bull mastiff, but um, but yeah, though I guess I should say this was some kind of mastiff. I guess I don't know it was a bull mastiff, but it was definitely one ma- one kind of mastiff, and it was some kind of mix, and it was a it was a big dog, and um, it was in the backyard, and. I walked out, and generally when I walk out and I see a dog, I don't get afraid. I grew up around animals and stuff, but if there's a big dog in the backyard, my kids are back there. I want to make sure this dog's friendly. So I walked out, and uh, there's a female dog, and I said, you know, come here, girl. And she immediately, tail down, ears back, started growling. And uh, not sure how many people out there have ever been growled at by a mastiff, but it's one of those things that uh, there's there's a big difference between growled at by a dog of that size and some tiny little chihuahua that's just making you laugh. And uh, so this dog is growling and was formidable, okay? And I've wrestled down big dogs throughout my entire life. I spent seven years in the veterinary industry, and one of my specialties was very, very large, aggressive animals. That does not mean that my adrenaline did not spike when this dog was staring me down. But my kids were there, and I knew that I needed to be confident for my kids to get my kids behind me. And I remember I said, it's going to be all right. Get behind me. And my boys looked freaked and immediately got behind me. And this dog started to rush me. And it's one of those that's... uh, this dog could mess you up really bad. <laughs> and I didn't want to be messed up really bad, but at the same time, I needed to protect my kids. And uh, I carry a gun on me most of the times anyways, and I did actually draw my gun on this dog and pointed it straight at the dog. The dog, and I remember I just said, stop. Like, very loud, very forceful. And the dog actually stopped, to just stopped on a dime and stared me down. 
And I said to her, now you get out of here now. And the dog actually just turned around and left. And I remember the reason I tell the story is because of what one of my boys asked me afterwards. And one of my boys said, you know, oh, wow, dad, that dog left. And I said, yeah, you guys are right. And I said, yeah. And one of the boys said, weren't you scared, dad? I said, yeah, I was. I said, we well, didn't seem like it. And I said, well, I needed to protect you. And I needed that dog to not know. And so that was one example that I, I remember I gave my boys and stuff too. And I think my boys were surprised because I think for a little boy, it's like, well, I'm scared, so I'm just going to run away. But it was like, I, I wanted to prove to them that even if you're scared, you just, you go through it. Now, to be fair, I've had a lot of years of dealing with very aggressive animals. And that probably goes to what we were saying before in the first segment, that it does take practice. I mean, there, there, there was quite a few times, uh, especially in my 20s in particular, um, that I did have to actually wrestle down some pretty aggressive dogs. Um, there was one very large 80, 90 pound Rottweiler that was uh, cornering a pregnant coworker of mine at one point, And I had to run out of the room and tackle this thing and you know wrestle it. And to be fair, I actually ended up in the hospital, not because the dog bit me, but because I wrenched my neck or something like that. Um, so it's not like you're always going to be fine or whatever, but um, I did have practice in it. And I will tell you, the first time I ever had to hold down a really big, aggressive dog was very different from, you know, seven years into holding down really big, aggressive dogs. But you just kind of force yourself to do it. And with practice, it does. I kind of like actually, actually like Jordan, Jordan Peterson was saying, it's not that all of a sudden you're just like, oh, the world's not so scary. I mean, it's not like all of a sudden, actually, I'll be honest with you, about mm, two, three years into working in the veterinary industry and getting called repeatedly for really huge, aggressive dogs, I did not at any point think, ah, you know what? These dogs really aren't as bad as they seem. In fact, I want to say two to three years in, I was like, wow, you can get really messed up by really large, aggressive animals, as evidenced by the fact that I still have scars to this day and I spent numerous times in the ER. But you just, you learn that this is how it is and then you learn how to deal with it and you do it by practice. I, yeah, I think we need a lore uh, documentary series on Tony the Dog Wrestler because this I'm interested in all these stories now. Um, yeah, <laughs> I, I there's a lot of stories. I mean, there's, well... Those are the stories of me wrestling normal animals. I've wrestled kangaroos and monkeys, and but that's another another story for another day. But it does come You're with like practice. <laughs> I have a weird childhood, okay, admittedly. But my point in all of this is that I, I yeah, even to this day, I mean, if I had to go wrestle a big dog today uh, that was trying to attack my family, it's not like all of a sudden I'm just going to go, it's not as bad as it seems. This dog's not can't hurt you as bad as you think. Like, no, actually, probably more than other people, I know how bad that dog can hurt you. Uh, but that's by virtue of just doing it over and over again. And yeah, you know what? I've gotten bit. I got nailed in the face one time and had to walk myself to the ER while holding my chin together. And But you just do it over and over. And, and you do it because for various reasons, I mean, a lot of reasons was basically just to protect other people. And that, I think, is the virtue of trying to drive that, that your courage should... I mean, real courage is not for you. I mean, real courage is for another purpose, for another person or another purpose. And that's what you should... I think that something to take away is you should fall in love with that. Um, that should be a driving... I mean, for me, you know, obviously with, with the dog things, it was um, protecting other people from harm, you know, but then it's things we're going to talk about. I'm sure you have examples in your life. It could also just be courage for the fact that 
uh, you care about these other people that are like if you're going to do, go do ministry, open air ministry, things like that. There's another example that you should care about them enough and you should love God enough and love his word enough that it drives you to be courageous uh, in, in doing that and putting yourself out there. And, and maybe, I don't know, maybe not explaining something eloquently. I mean, that's always a, I think, a worry of people doing open air uh, evangelism. I don't, I don't know. You, I'm sure you have an example. So if you got an example, why don't you give one too? No, I think you're, you're nailing down the thing actually. So, you know, we've talked about practice. We've talked about actually knowing God has the future. So there's a, there's a knowledge of the future that, so while unbelievers can be courageous at times, there's going to come a period in which they can't actually go all the way to the end. Hmm. Whereas uh, a believer has the hope of the future. So we know that. But then the, the, I think the, the second element here that you've brought up is very important, which is it actually serves a purpose. Um, and that I think that's the difference between godly risk-taking and just rash foolishness. All right. Uh, we were watching, there's like this guy on, on YouTube. And I, again, I was having the young men last night. We watched this to kind of start off our talk on this, uh, uh, um, of this guy climbing this, t- uh, this tower. And then he climbed a, a crane and all the way to the very top of the crane without any kind of gear on. And he's filming himself with a GoPro and you're like, it's just takes your breath away watching it. And, but the, one of the things you're asking is, well, what's his, is this really, is this courage? <laughs> well, and, and, yeah. and it is facing fear. Yeah. But on the other hand, is it like a godly risk? Is this actually godly courage mm-hmm. or is this just selfish, rash behavior? And, and so you, know, one of the things I asked them is, does it, this, does this take faith? And they were like, oh no, it doesn't to do that. And I said, yes, it does. It's just their faith is in the faith that this guy has is in himself. Self, yeah, himself. And and his goal is then his own glory. And if I don't see that as the kind of courage that is laudable, or you know, you write poems about and and epic poetry about, right? That's not the the courage and bravery of men. Well, maybe we need to divide this into two things, and one may be part of the other, and the other's not part of the other. So maybe there's fearlessness and courage. And I, I would say yeah. probably with a lot of courage, there has to be some level of fearlessness in it, although maybe not. I mean, it may just be pushing through that fear. Um, but yeah, because I, I don't know, I guess sometimes I'm a little hesitant to use the word uh, courage, like for the guy on the crane. I mean, yeah, that's maybe fearlessness, but I don't, it, there's not a point, I think, to... Uh, like you said, it's more just his faith in himself. It's not really for somebody else. Yeah. Well, it's definitely taking a risk. Yeah. We all agree, but is it a godly risk? Sure. And so what we want to encourage people to take godly risks, and that means doing things for God's glory and stepping out in that. And it doesn't always look like climbing a crane or, or you know, uh, or facing dogs. It, it, it could be the courage I think of telling your wife no or telling your loved ones about Christ. And so people have asked me before, how am I so brave when it comes to doing street preaching? And I think there's an element of bravery there, but I actually think it takes a lot more courage to do the pastoral care of telling people that I love and want to see and want to 
to like have a relationship with and to tell them that they're sinning like that that takes a lot more courage well, there's way more there's way more courage in telling the neighbor that you've known for 10 years that he needs to repent and believe in Christ than the guy that you just met on the street i mean i'm not saying yeah. it doesn't take courage on that but that there's just a level like you were saying there's just a level of it that's that's different and and yet i think God has designed us, which we've already said, to take small things, and it makes it possible. So I, I think, like for me, street preaching and thing, it was the gateway for me to be able to be a pastor mm-hmm. and to be able to preach and 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 even like to do this show and the stuff like that was because there is a hump to get over there. There is facing fear of crowds and all that stuff, and and so you can do that for God's glory. And then that can translate elsewhere. And I think about that with your with your sons, raising your sons. And so there, the line there between that, what we're talking, bravery, maybe uh, uh, the the kind of laudable glory, glorious bravery. There's a line between that and that fearlessness that's very blurry with your sons. That sometimes you have to encourage the one to get the other. Well, and there's a level of. Uh... Yeah, you're right. I, I was going to say that. I think there's also a level of contagiousness with it. Um, actually, like the uh, the skit intro that um, we had for this episode with the the pirate ship or whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. But but what I mean is, um, oh here, okay, here's an example. Um, I actually might I might have talked about this in another episode. I can't remember, but this happened recently. It was about last year. I took my boys out um, hiking. Uh, there there was this kind of local. Uh, preserve or I can't remember, park, something like that. But it had these really high hills with really steep cliffs. And I knew in particular, because I remember on the way out, my wife said, you do know that there's going to thunderstorm, right? And I said, yeah, so I'm going. And she kind of looked at me and gave me kind of the sideways look like, what? And I put the boys in the car. And I, I actually, I, I have a, uh, a waterproof Bible. I don't know if you do, but I have the waterproof Bible for when I know it's going to rain. And I took it with me and I threw it in my book bag. And uh, we went out, and I remember as we were walking into the woods, we were going kind of down into where there's like this river, and then we were going to kind of hike up the hill and go on the very, very top. And I remember one of my boys saying, Dad, it looks like it's going to rain. I said, oh, I'm pretty sure it's going to rain. And then as we're going up the hill, I remember is my my oldest boy, my six-year-old, and he said, well, Dad, it's thundering. We need to go back. I said, no, it's okay, buddy. We're going to go to the top of the hill. And he started looking more and more freaked. And I just kept going up and going up, and we got to the top of the hill, and he did actually look legitimately concerned at that point. And I bent down, and I said, what's wrong? And he said, Dad, it's it's thundering. It's going to storm. It's going to storm, and we're going to get stuck in it. And I said, yeah, we probably are. <laughs> and I said, what are you worried about? And he didn't know. He was just afraid of the thunder. He said, it's going to be loud. It's going to rain. And I said, I'm here with you, aren't I? And he said, yeah. And I said, well, let's go over here towards this tree and sit down. So we sat down pulled out my Bible, and it was starting to rain, and uh, I read Psalm 23. And then I said, do you guys, do you boys know who wrote that? And they did, and they said, King David. I said, yeah. I said, he was a king, right? You know, and I said, or he grew up to be a king, you know. And I said, uh, but he was afraid at times, and he, who did he look to for courage? And they said, God. And I said, right. I said, he, he looked to God as Father and answered for courage. And I said, so when you're afraid, um, you need to remember that, you know, even kings get afraid, but our king, King Jesus, I said, sits on his throne, and he knows everything, and he's in control of all of it, and he's not going to leave that throne. And so you need to pray to him. So we prayed, asked 
asked to give us courage. And I said, all right, we're going to keep hiking. And we kept going. And my boy, who was previously really afraid, ran up next to me. And he grabbed my hand. And he said, Dad, I'm glad that you're here. I'm not afraid anymore. And it dawned on me again that he had, he had put together the father thing into it, too. And I said, you know, we, so we talked about the prayer. And we talked about looking to God. And, um, but... It was a big deal for him because I remember the next time it rained, he was like, Dad, are we going to go on a hike? And I kind of just smiled because I knew that he wasn't afraid anymore. Um, but it took, I think, me pushing them into it, again, kind of what we're talking about, that you sometimes have to just throw yourself into it, or sometimes you have to have somebody else throw yourself into it and show you what it means to be um, courageous. Um, but that was a big deal for, for my son. So actually, on that note, I think we're going to end it here. We could say a lot more about this. Uh, Again, if you haven't listened to our previous episode called Risky Business, I do not remember the episode number, but go back. I believe it was in 2020, 2021. It was in February. I think it was last year, so it would be about a year ago. So look somewhere around the February time in 2021. Um, But listen to that um, and then come back and maybe listen to this one too again. Um, If you got any questions, we love to hear from you. You can send us an email at contact at patriarchypodcast.com. Comment on anything on social media, as long as we're still allowed to be on social media. Um, But we'd love to hear from you. uh, If you have real life examples or if this encouraged you to step out and do something, um, that would be great to hear from you too. And we could even say it maybe on a future episode and give it as examples to uh, listeners. And we'll probably circle back around to this again. Uh, But that being said, uh, if you want to support our show, uh, if you're a first-time listener and you do not know, we are on the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network. We also have memberships. Uh, This show will always be free, but we do have another show called After the Sandwich. It's available to members only. It's kind of a different format show where we take different topics. But if you want to listen to that or you want to get access to other really great things that I think are beneficial to you, uh, go to fightleftfeast.com, click the sign to become a member, and use the code PATRIARCHY if you want to support our show. Uh, but that'll help support our show and also get you access to some behind-the-scenes content and other things like that. If you want to get Patriarchy swag, if you want some T-shirts or coffee mugs, go to confessionalware.com. Uh, click on Podcast Collaborations and look for our show. And There's some stuff there. There should be some more stuff coming out later this year. And also, we have partnered with uh, a coffee company, much to Joseph's dismay because he hates what he calls bitter bean water, but I love it. If you go to missionfirstcoffee.com forward slash patriarchy, uh, you get yourself some really great coffee, support a really cool Christian ministry, a Christian company. It also helps, 10% of it, I believe, goes to uh, Paul Washer's um, Heart Cry Missionary Fund. And then we get a little bit of that as well to help kind of support our show. So any of those things, go to it, support us. Uh, also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and also Gab. Uh, but with that being said... I think I found it. What? Oh, never mind. I still haven't found the punchline. Oh, folks, please support our show. Support me. Just send me support some form or fashion. Goodness. Okay. Until next time. If you have not yet bowed your knee to Christ, repent and believe. And if you have, this is our call to you. Build, fight, protect, lead. This is the Patriarchy. Thank you.